0: Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up-to-date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Remember, this podcast deals with adult themes, so if you don't have privacy, you might wish to put on some headphones. Today, I'm starting my series on sexless relationships. There are far more sexless long-term relationships than you might imagine. Here, I'm not referring to relationships that are sexless by choice. These relationships become sexless for a wide variety of reasons, and the impact on the overall relationship and the mental health of the people involved in the relationship is often intense. Joining me today is Dr. Zoe Shaw. Dr. Zoe Shaw is a licensed psychotherapist, relationship and life coach, writer, speaker and radio talk show host. She helps struggling superwomen dish their stress, love their life and thrive in beautiful chaos by giving encouragement, tips, insight and skills to apply in all areas of their lives. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lori. It's so great to be here.
0: So let's talk about sexless relationships. This is the big secret, isn't it?
1: It is. It's so hard, even for women to talk about with each other. It is it is just one of those silent epidemics in the world. I was just looking at uh, some research by the Huffington Post and there was, um, they were talking about the difference between like women and men complaining about sexless marriage. And it's 60% men, but of course that means 40% of women as well, yeah, Yeah, are complaining about it and dealing with this. Um, And the majority of them don't want to end their marriage. They want to have a healthy sexual relationship within their marriage. And then of course you have to think of, okay, so what does the role Of sex play in our relationships and most of them will say well friendship comes first which is important absolutely friendship and and, you know emotional intimacy comes first but sex is the glue right uh, that really holds our relationships together it smooths out the edges and I can tell you here's an interesting thing and working with my clients when people come in for marital therapy or relationship therapy they almost never mention sex. Yes. I always have to bring yes. it up. Yes. Yes. And then when I bring it up, they don't stop talking about it, right? It becomes a really big, important part of our therapy together. And I didn't learn that until, you know, I was years into, the, into working with people that I had to bring it up because they weren't going to.
0: What I find so fascinating about that is even though with my practice now, I've moved more and mm-hmm. more towards sex and intimacy coaching. Um, sure. And so that's obvious and it's out there and it's in front. Even with that, I would say 60% of the time when people come in, they still don't bring it up until I ask. Wow. That's
1: amazing. They're
0: coming to see me specifically because (laughs) this is something I deal with and they still don't mention it. When I first got to the UK, um, I was teaching a group of counselors about how to do a really good history or intake Mm -hmm. because I've always done Mm -hmm. that. And I know that not all therapists do that, but for me, that's always been important to have an idea of where the person sits in context in their whole life. And part of my intake is to ask them about sexuality and sex life and um, any sexual issues. And these folks were horrified that I was going to ask Mm. such personal questions. Yes which i found fascinating as I, I, well this is personal therapy is personal
1: it's very personal but <laughs> but there's that line there's yeah. that line that people draw you know, I had a client, and I, I saw her for maybe six years before we really started talking about sex, but part of that was she had gotten a divorce, and she was wanting to get over her relationship with her ex-husband, and there was still, you know, a lot of grief, a lot of pain, and we worked through it and worked through it, and six years later, I find out that she was having sex with him the whole time, and we never spoke about it, and of course, she was like, well, you never asked, because at some point, something triggered me to bring it, you know, ask the question. And, you know, obviously that was a big part of why she couldn't get over him and move on and date other people. But yeah, people just have a hard time talking about it.
0: Well, and I think, you know, there's a lot of, again, this is one of those topics that there's a ton of shame around. Um, And Mm. I know that for me, my first marriage was virtually sexless. And hmm. I started with what's wrong with me. That's where I started in the process. It's, it must be me. What's wrong with me? And I tried to change mm-hmm. a bunch of different things and nothing worked. And eventually I kind of understood that it wasn't me, um, that mm-hmm. this was some of this was something that was going on with him. In fact, it was almost everything that was going on with him. It was quite complex, but mm-hmm. um When I finally I was eight years into the relationship and ready to leave, finally ready to leave before I told anyone, because I thought I was the only person in that situation at the time. And I said to a good friend of mine who's a psychologist, this is what's been going on. And she's like, oh, you know, that's not so unusual. You know, my relationship. And I was completely shocked and started doing a lot more work with people around that time from there forward around what was really going on. And it was fascinating. I did eventually get an explanation. Now, most people don't get closure if they break the relationship. They only get work out what's going on if they're in the relationship. But I actually got an answer from him about what his concerns were and why he was avoiding sex, which had to do with whether or not there would be a pregnancy. So really, really interesting. Wow. So he stopped, He one of his reasons for stopping having sex was that he didn't want a baby, but he didn't feel he had a right to tell me that I couldn't have a baby because women have a right to have babies. This was his thinking. And so he didn't want to tell me this. So he just stopped having sex with me because if he wasn't having sex with me, I couldn't have a baby by him. Wow. Pretty profound.
1: Yeah. You know, it is very profound, that's pretty profound. And when when you look at that, the majority of the issues aren't necessarily about sex itself, or the desire, or the ability to be aroused, it's really about the emotional and psychological yep. components that go on. And that happen over time in an intimate relationship.
0: Yeah, and it's yeah. fascinating to me. I mean, I, I'd say about, of the people who come in to see me are, around sexual issues, it's probably 50 50 and that's because of what I do about 50% Mm -hmm. are coming in with issues that do have to do with desire and arousal. And often they haven't told their partners what turns them on. And so issues really around their sexual relationship and the other 50%, even though they're coming in with sex as an issue are the emotional and psychological components of the relationship that are impacting desire. Right.
1: Absolutely. And of course, we know that there are medical issues too that can be a part of it. Uh, We were talking earlier about, you know, erectile dysfunction issues, prostate issues as you grow older that can certainly increase um, erectile dysfunction and ability uh, to continue or perform sex acts. So those are there, but they really tend to be minimal when you look at the overall issues regarding, you know, lack of sex. So. The other thing I think that is really important to look at and pay attention to in the relationship is that no has so much power. So the one who has the lowest sex drive ends up having the majority of the power in the relationship, right? And that creates bitterness, it creates resentment, it creates a lot of issues. Um, And then the question is how do you overcome that when you are, you know, the one that's always making the advances or always initiating, and you feel like the other has this power. And then sometimes that person will use that as well. And that's once again a relationship issue, not necessarily a sex issue. Um, But it's important to address that, that it's a reality. No has the power in the relationship.
0: It's always interesting to me, too, though, the number of cl- cu- couples where w- one partner will say, well, I'm always making advances and this person is always saying no. And when I start picking that apart, what constitutes an advance? <laughs> yes. <The other> person <laughs> hasn't noticed. So it's true that the person, when a direct advance is made, may have said no, but may have wanted another kind of advance four or five other times that, has, that hasn't they haven't recognized it. And would have said That's, yes had they realized what was being asked. And so it's an But you know what happens? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, finish. Well, I was going to
1: say what happens is over time, the advances tend to get less aggressive. So there's that fear of rejection. And so then instead of saying, you know, do you want to have sex? Then you just put your hand on his arm. And then you feel rejection. And that, you know, never got discussed because you're, you're fearful of it. So you tend to be less aggressive.
0: Yeah, and so that's what I was gonna say. I mean, it's exactly where I was going with this. It's so interesting when you look at it that it it's like, well, that was supposed to be an advance, really. That didn't Mm look like an advance to me. And so one of my questions is so how can we make no not be perceived as a rejection? Is there a way to work with that? And, and sometimes I find there is and sometimes there isn't to work with it. So that isn't the most powerful point. So actually no deserves an explanation. And I, and I know some feminist women who really have a problem with this. It's like you, you shouldn't have to explain yourself. If you don't want to have sex, you don't want to have sex. And I think on one level, that's an okay thing to say. But on another level, the reality is, is that there are ebbs and flows in relationships. And if, if you're saying no a lot then you really ought to be communicating what's going on for you because your partner's probably suffering with that no. Not
1: probably, is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is and I agree with you because, you know, a woman out you know on a casual relationship with a guy, I don't think she owes him any explanation as yeah. to why she doesn't wanna have sex. But when you enter into a relationship with somebody, you're making some agreement. There's a pact and it's reciprocal, right? And especially if you want to be in a monogamous relationship and there's an agreement there that you will fulfill and have sex with that person and that that is part of your relationship. So I agree, there needs to be um, an explanation. And I think that if both partners are willing to talk about it, then one of the partner who has the you know no, who's saying the no, needs to be able to also give an alternate time or be able to explain, you know, what would make it better for her or him to want to have sex at that time or the next time.
0: And I, I also think if if people would do that, that they would flag up some of the medical issues much faster. Mm-hmm. Like uh, low, low libido in women during menopause is a huge, huge, mm-hmm. huge issue, and sometimes just having sex, starting to have sex. Sex is enjoyable once they start, but they can't seem to find the desire to start. So sometimes saying yes, even though you don't really feel like it and just seeing how it goes is a better response than always saying no. But there's got to be some recognition that actually that's a physiological, there's a physiological thing going on. So you need to see a doctor to make sure that there isn't something that you actually need to do. Or you need to be looking mm-hmm. at if you're one of the women who has this as a big part of menopause, there are natural ways of dealing with it. If you don't want to deal with HRT or anything like that, there are all sorts of programs out there. Some very good ones. Um, Marion Stewart was on um, was on my A to Z of um, sex podcast. Ella's for libido um, for mm. low libido because um, she's got an excellent program that helps deal with the symptoms of menopause a natural program to move women through menopause without um, uh, HRT, um, and there okay. are some things like there's specialist forms of maca, for example, that are really mm-hmm. helpful with menopause, and that if you know that 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 it, you can you can do a lot with those. Um, so it's 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 a combination of things. If you don't have the conversation, if you don't give the reason, if you're not willing to talk about it you're just kind of succumbing to the feeling part of it. No, I don't feel like it. That's when it really gets entrenched.
1: It does. It does. And it can kill a relationship. And when I love what you said, because if you look at those stages, right, of sex or, or, or the act, it's desire, and then arousal, orgasm, right, and resolution. And a lot of people don't hit that first point of desire, especially when you've been in a long-term relationship and then we know that emotional issues like anger, resentment, affect desire. Mm-hmm. And so I love what you said because you do need to say sometimes, I'm just going to go ahead, skip the desire part and go straight into the act and find out and pay attention. When you're doing it, does it work out? Do you? Does it end up feeling good and, and you're able to continue the sex act and if you finish it and go, oh, you know, why didn't I do that before? Why didn't I want to do that? Um, And if you're able to do that, then you know that that's an indication that you need to do that more often. And then also pay attention to what do I need or what does my spouse need to ignite that desire so that we don't have to skip that desire aspect.
0: Yeah. And I don't think people research that enough. I I, certainly my experience is that people often don't know what turns them on and they locate their desire Mm -hmm. in their partners. Desire is located Mm. in you. So. Right now, you're not appealing to me, therefore, I don't have desire, right?
1: Ah, yes, and that also explains why so many,
0: go ahead. Well, it's either he's responsible or she's responsible to turn me on.
1: Yeah, and that also explains why so many women and men are confused when they see their spouse flirting with somebody else or they see that there's that desire for somebody else but not them. And it's not a physical thing necessarily. Um, sometimes, you know, it's just about something new and something that doesn't carry all the emotional baggage of the relationship. Um, but that's right. A lot of people don't have any idea what it is that they need
0: to to be turned on. And that's where I often start with people. You know, that's that's step mm-hmm. one: to figure out what it is that turns you on. Yeah. Because then, and how does that go ahead? In, 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 how does, and yeah, how does that feed into the relationship? What can I do for myself? How can I start the fire?
1: And so do you find that men or women have the hardest time with that?
0: Men. But well, that was a That's quick answer. That's interesting. Yeah, I
1: would have thought it would be women. Men have the hardest time really, do you think it's that they have the hardest time or do they have the hardest time? Verbalizing it.
0: I think it's that they have the hardest time because they're they focus first on the visuals and So they're still locating it outside themselves. What turns them on is a woman that looks like this Right, okay, right It's it's two-dimensional and to get them to actually look at well. What is it about that? What's just define what's sexy so that as you get older you can find Mm -hmm. things sexy in other places because You're not going to get that 20 year old woman when you're 60. Right.
1: That's not going to be available.
0: And if you choose to have a long term
1: monogamous relationship,
0: you know, it's you guys are going to change. That's That's right. If you can locate some of the desire in you that isn't just the visual, and they have, it's not that they don't get turned on other ways, they do. They just, they're used to paying attention to that. And because they're used to paying attention to that, they don't research further. So where they go is they go to pornography instead, or they go okay. to, you know, flirting with other women instead and and, and right. bring that in. And, and that adds to further relationship problems, which you don't really need. I mean, it's not, there's anything wrong with pornography, but if you're watching pornography in preference to having sex and with your wife, then you're going to have a problem. So mm-hmm. it's getting them to actually, Define desire in a, in a much more multi-level multi-layer way. That's harder
1: And I think that comes down to communication as well mm-hmm. because you know, we will have Relationships for 10 20 years and not be comfortable Telling our spouse or our partner about our biggest fantasy. They don't even know it, nope. you know And I've talked to women women about that and and they've said well, He would think that I went crazy if I let him know that or or, what if he thought that it was disgusting. And when it comes to affairs, Mm -hmm. oftentimes people are more willing to take that step with someone that they don't have the emotional connection to because it's kind of like, what do I have to lose? Exactly. And so then – Yes. And so those experiences are so, you know, amazing and, and they're very passionate and they get all of that because they're fearful of being kind of that authentic self with the partner that they love and care about.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and as you say, it, you know, you have a lot to lose. If your partner believes that your turn-ons are X, Y, Z and W and actually what turns you on is A and you've never told them and you're seven years into the relationship, hmm. You could be scared that if you suddenly tell them, well, actually, this doesn't do it for me, that it, they're going to reject you. Or if you have a desire that is even slightly outside what you believe is the norm, you can be afraid that your partner's mm-hmm. going to be disgusted. And I run up against that a lot. People being worried that their partner will be disgusted. And so they don't right. tell them, but then they tell some some stranger and have a mad, passionate affair and damage their relationship far more. And if they had actually told Absolutely. the partner what the fantasy was.
1: Absolutely. And every time I've encouraged somebody to do that, it's always turned out well. Because the reality is we as humans, we're all weird, right? <laughs> In some way or another, we're all weird, if you want to use that word. It's really unique. And somebody else sharing something like that creates deeper intimacy. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that your partner has to say, okay, I'm on it, I'll do all of that. But if you guys can negotiate, okay, you know what, this is my biggest fantasy, or these are my fantas- fantasies, which ones turn you on? Which ones would you be interested in exploring? Sometimes you can come to just a, a, an agreement and it's so much better than you had before.
0: Yeah, and then, and then I, I often find that in those situations, then people start to explore together. And yes. that's even more exciting because they find things that they can own with each other that, mm-hmm. that really are exciting and new and things that they hadn't really done before because they hadn't been. They were afraid they weren't with a willing partner, so it everything yes. becomes a new adventure.
1: And I can guarantee you, if you weren't willing to share his, then he wasn't willing to share, or you weren't willing to share yours, he wasn't willing to share his either. And if you guys can open up that, you can start a whole new, you know, sexual life. So, yeah, that's another really big one is that authenticity.
0: Yeah, and I think that's actually one of the biggest ones. I think that that that. I was talking about this with somebody earlier that the idea that we don't look at what we need and what we want and what we desire. We have fantasies, but we don't necessarily explore that. We don't admit to ourselves that this is what really turns us on. We just kind of push it off to the side. Mm -hmm. How are we supposed to tell a partner authentically what we like? How are we supposed to show up as a whole human being in that relationship if we're not willing to acknowledge it to ourselves?
1: I think that's a great question. And first, you have to acknowledge it. So it first starts out, and in the therapy room with me, that's where it first starts out, is being able to say, this is what I'm really interested in, this is what I really like, and owning it and recognizing, like I said, that that's a unique part of you. And there's nothing wrong with it. So yeah. There's nothing wrong. Even if your spouse isn't interested in that, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. So it does start with owning it. And then you have to be willing to have the conversation. And it's really just approaching them. A lot of times it can help to do it in a therapeutic situation. Yes. Um, but otherwise, it's something that you just need to be willing to approach and start out with, I've never told you this. And I'm really maybe worried about our sex life or this is something that's really, really important to me and I want to share this with you because I love you and I care about you and I want to have a better sex life.
0: And I, 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 one of the things I think is interesting about this is that, it's this, that what we're basically saying is you don't have to have a sexless relationship. No. There are choices. No, you don't. There are choices and although it can feel like an insurmountable problem, to start these Mm -hmm. conversations, actually there's considerable amount of relief involved in addressing Mm, the elephant in the room.
1: Right. And so many people go so many years and never address the elephant. So no, you don't have to have a sexless relationship. And it's really important to first understand why is my relationship sexless? So of course, you want to go to the doctor. You want to certainly rule out anything medical first. You want to look at the emotional issues in your relationship that could be impeding you know, your sexual life. Another one, and I don't know that this gets talked about very much, but this idea of really close friendships and um, really good emotional intimacy and in a marriage can actually in some way impede the sexual relationship and it's because of kind of our innate drive against incest right yeah. and so if you see your partner as just that close close family like a brother or a sister then sometimes that incestuous anti-incestuous part of you gets t- you know turned on um, and that happens a lot we they'll say well we're just best friends we're like brother and sister but there's no you know sex involved and so what do you do it's really important to start figuring out how to create a little bit of distance and it doesn't mean that you're not being friends anymore but part of the in, the desire you know the the desire for sex has a little bit of mystery right. in it right yeah, yeah. and so you want to work on Maybe you two should have you know some separate hobbies that you do, or maybe you should have some things that are a little more mysterious, or maybe you know you shouldn't take a dump in the bathroom <laughs> when he's with you, you know, so that you're actually creating um, a little more distance, a little more mystery, which gives a little space for the romance
0: yeah, and and that that whole thing of mystery and surprise. Surprise. Yeah. Surprise surprise goes when you're with somebody for a long time. So Mm -hmm. when I talk with couples about date nights, it's like, please don't do the ordinary things if you can help it. Do something unusual. Do something that creates a little bit of adrenaline that creates that surprise that brings you out of your comfort zone so that you actually create that newness again because you can't unknow the person you're with. Right, but you can learn different, you you can learn different facets about them. Everybody has. You can continue, yeah, you can
1: continue to learn and you should, not just can, but you should continue to learn about your partner forever because we also grow and change in relationships, right? And so if we make assumptions that that, you know, husband that I married 20 years ago is the same guy or has the same likes and desires and dreams when we haven't been continually having those conversations, we're wrong and we don't even know them.
0: Yeah. And then of course you get what happens when children leave home. That that very strange, you know, yes. spike in divorce when the children are finally all gone. And, and some people say, oh, well, that's due to the fact that people have been waiting to get divorced, you know, until the children left home. Well, in some cases, but actually in quite a number of cases, what it is, is the people wake up, look at each other and don't know who they're, they're living with because they've been living right. through the children and having separate lives and their relationship hasn't had the time and attention. So they look at each other and say, who's this?
1: And, you know, I think a lot of people do think that, oh, that was planned. They were waiting for the kids. But I think what actually tends to happen is maybe a year or two before the kids get to that spot. It's that preparing for the empty nest. And you realize when you look at the next person that there isn't anything there anymore. And so, yeah, it it you might be planning it for a year or a few months, but it's not because of that. It's because of what's happened over the course of the relationship.
0: Right. And so it's. Yeah. it's- And I always think that's terribly sad. I think it's one thing if people decide to stay together for for the sake of the children and they make a conscious decision that that's what they're doing. But I always think Mm -hmm. it's sad that when it happens as a result of empty nesting. I think the other thing around desire that we don't talk about a lot is what is things like postnatal depression.
1: Yes. Yes. I was just going to say it that time when a lot of people identify in marriages, when the sex first started kind of going downhill, a lot of times it's when the kids came. One one of the reasons, of course, is, is depression, postnatal depression that, that um, can certainly happen. And we all know that depression coincides or or low libido and depression go to, together, right? So you've got the combo of number one, the depression, which kid or not is going to decrease your libido and then you've got the kids on top of it
0: yeah and that that's that's one that comes up quite a lot with with non-recognition of that you know yeah. and, and, it, yeah. and it just sort of i think that the worst part of this is that this bleeds out and it just keeps going because people are so afraid of addressing this topic oh yeah it's like they are. if I bring it up, it's going to be the end of my relationship. I'm going to have to leave.
1: I think that's exactly what it is. If I don't talk about it, then I can pretend like it doesn't exist. But if I talk about it, then the question is, so now what? And if there's nothing to fix it, then I feel like I have to take a step. And the next step, of course, is, you know, ending the relationship. Um, I I remember back to after I had my first. Uh, Son And I definitely remember feeling and part of it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, a, a, a postpartum depression, but it was probably that hormonal, you know, dip and the natural, you know, kind of, I won't even say dysthymia, but, you know, maybe a low grade that occurred, which I think is very normal for women. And on top of that, I'm breastfeeding and I've got this baby on me all the time and so I don't have that desire in any way for my husband to touch me and of course he's over here nothing has physically changed with him you know and I'm getting all this loving from a baby and he's kind of left out Um, but I very much remember that and it was just like I I just I just don't feel like it I just don't have it Um, and yes it's pushing through and like you said before going ahead and doing it, even when you don't feel like
0: it. Yeah, and, and and I know that a lot of women have issues when I say that. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of criticism for saying that, but it's I'm not saying going through with it, you start doing it, and it's still feeling awful that you keep pushing through. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that what, <laughs> I've, what I've discovered is, over many, many years working with people, is that oftentimes the arousal stage will kick in, even though the desire is not That's there, right. and so you have a grand time hmm and so absolutely skip out desire for a for a while until you can figure out what's getting in the way
1: Right you skip out desire and you increase foreplay. Yep, right in order to, to Get to that arousal level that you need to, to be and if your partner is willing to do that if that's a compromise You know, we're gonna ramp up and increase the foreplay before the actual sexual act because we know that this is going on with you and that can also also be helpful. But you know when it comes to I understand that you say women feel like oh you should never, you know, have sex if you don't feel like it. But I think about a ton of things I do in my relationship, you know, as a mom. <laughs> Even in my friendships, I just watched my friend's kids this weekend and you know, I didn't really want to do it, but I love her and she needed the help and so I took her kids for the weekend. And that's something you do when you love somebody. And actually it was great because we had a fantastic time. But I don't know why sex should be any different.
0: I I I completely agree with you. I don't think it should be. I mean, I I, I do believe that we need to think about these things in terms of the swings and roundabouts. Although I am aware that sex is often used as 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 coin in a relationship, and so then you end up with a power struggle there, and that's not yeah, really not what we're referring to. But the idea that you know sometimes it is okay to do something just to please your partner because it pleases them, makes them feel absolutely. Right, and
1: in a healthy relationship, they are going to do
0: that for you as well. And I think, I mean, I do think the other thing is is that we also need to remember that sometimes penetrative sex is a problem. And Mm, sometimes it's a problem for women because they're having issues that make it painful. There are a wide mm -hmm. variety of issues that can make it painful for women at different stages of life. Sometimes it's a problem for men because of erectile dysfunction. Um, And so... We also need to be creative about that, that we also need to remember that we can do all sorts of other things to make each other feel good. And so that's not a reason to decide to avoid sex, but it is sometimes why relationships will become sexless because there becomes fear around what happens. What happens if I don't get it up? What happens if I can't stand him penetrating me? Cause it's too painful. He's going to feel lousy. Then it's going to be horrible. And so people start avoiding it because they're not sure how they can make it pleasurable and that's the place where people need to talk and be creative exactly that's what i was just going to say the biggest issue with that is
1: not even what you just discussed any issues with the vagina or issues with erectile dysfunction the issue is that you're not willing to talk about it yes. and so instead of being willing to talk about it we avoid and if we're able to talk about it we can always find ways around you know having you know, penetrative sex. There's so many other ways that we can enjoy each other and please each other and have a sex life that we feel is fulfilling without penetrative sex, but we have to be willing to talk about it. And men are often just so unwilling, terrified to talk about erectile dysfunction or to talk about um, things that are going on with them that are impeding
0: their ability to have sex and women as well. Yeah, because it there's. A self-image issue there. There's a huge yeah. self-image issue there. And there's often a fear that, well, she'll find somebody else or he'll find somebody else. I can't mm. do it anymore. So they will find somebody else. When there's I mean, there are so many ways. There are also other ways of doing penetration. I mean, you know, there are mm. toys, there are there are all sorts of things that, that you can do, but it, it all requires communication first.
1: Right. And it's actually by not talking about it that you increase those chances of that person finding somebody else, not by talking about it.
0: That's so true. So if they wish to find you, where do they look for you? The people listening. So
1: you can find me at any of my social medias Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all at the handle Dr. Zoe Shaw, D R Z O E S H A W. And then, of course, my website at DrZoeshaw.com. That's great. And I have my radio show as well. Um, and you can find that at iTunes at um, the
0: Dr. Zoe Show. That's brilliant. Now, all of this will be on the podcast notes, so it'll be easy for you to find. Wonderful. And you can just click the links. And thanks for joining me here today. Thank you. It was a great conversation. Thanks for joining me for Sex Spoken here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Write to me with suggestions for the show, questions you want answered at Bisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. Do follow me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and check out my YouTube channel. For a free 30-minute strategy session with me, go to www.the-intimacy-coach.com and click on the button that says Schedule Now. Why not join me for my upcoming webinar, Four Secrets for Arousing and Igniting Your Authentic Sexual Self? You can click the link in the podcast notes to sign up or head to HTTPS colon backslash backslash the-intimacy-coach.com backslash number four dash secrets backslash. And I'll look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.